Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 32nd program in this series. I'm in John chapter 7, verse 14, when Jesus went to the temple in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. In verse 14, John chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? The Jews who were there in the temple evaluated Jesus, and they were amazed. They were amazed that he had some interesting things to say that there were people who were willing to listen to what he had to say and that he was able to teach them even though he was not officially qualified by the religious leaders as a teacher. He did not have the credentials that were expected of a teacher of the law of Moses. He did not have the proper credentials, and so they were amazed that he was teaching. They would also be amazed that there were people who were willing to listen to him. They marveled in the sense that he did not meet their qualifications. That's effectively what they were doing, was they were passing judgment against Jesus and expressing an attitude towards him because he did not have the credentials that they believed he needed to have. Now, of course, he had no interest in their judgment. He was there for the purpose of doing what his God told him to do, which was to tell others what God told him, to share with others the things that his God revealed to him. Now, of course, Jesus was God manifested in the flesh, but he was there in order to live as a man. In verse 15, and the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? And then in verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. In other words, you do not have the credentials to know that I am telling the truth, because if you did, then you would know that my doctrine is not my own. You would know that what I am saying is the truth. But because you do not have a relationship with God like I do, that's what he was saying to them, then you're not going to know. You're not going to be able to give a proper judgment concerning me. You do not have what you need You do not have the proper qualifications. You don't have the proper credentials. And all he says is that those who will to do his will, in other words, those who want to be a participant in the things 
that God is doing. That's what he says. The qualifications to know the truth and the qualifications to tell other people the truth has to do with wanting to be a participant in the things that God is doing. That's all. That's all there is to it. And what they were doing had nothing to do with what God was doing. God was there in order to invoke a new covenant. That was why he was there. He was there in order to bring the old covenant to completion so that the new covenant could then go into effect. And what they were doing, what they were occupied with, had nothing to do with what God was doing at that time. And so they would have no idea what he was really saying. They would not understand. They would not comprehend the magnitude of what he was communicating. And they had no right to pass judgment against him as they were doing. In verse 18, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Now, this is a follow-up to the conversation that Jesus was having with his brothers in verse 4. In John chapter 7, verse 4, it says, For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. This is what his brothers were telling him. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. You don't do these things in secret if you want to be known, if you want to be popular. You do these things openly. And this was a false accusation against Jesus, which he didn't even really acknowledge. He didn't respond to in a way that he would be defending himself. This was an issue that they had. This was a belief that they had. And here in verse 18, Jesus expresses the same principle, the same theme, that he is not there for himself. He's not there for his own glory. It's not about Jesus. It's about the one who he represents. It is about the living God. That is what this is about. That's what he is about. That is what he is doing. And he is not seeking his own glory, but the one who sent him. And there is no unrighteousness in Jesus. Jesus is not doing anything wrong. He is not violating the law of God. For them to be examining him, For them to be evaluating him or marveling or having a conversation with themselves or others about his qualifications, these things have no meaning whatsoever. They have no right. They have no place in doing this at all. And so in verse 19, Jesus speaks to them. He speaks to them in a way that he is going to tell them that they are the ones who have no qualifications. Who are they to speak to him or about him or against him? They are the ones who have no qualifications. In verse 19, did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Now, there he is in the temple and the entire infrastructure of the temple and all of the activities And the reasons why people are supposedly there, the supposed reasons as to why they are there, has to do with living in obedience to the Mosaic law. That's what it was all about. And he tells them, look, none of you keep the law. Who are you 
to evaluate me concerning what I teach or what I do when you yourselves are not living in obedience to the law that you claim you live in obedience to, that you claim you are the authority of, that you are the teacher of, that you are the one who evaluates others to determine if they are teaching it as they should. You people don't obey the law. They were there examining him to find some way that they could accuse him, to come up with some accusation that they could speak against him for violating the Mosaic law. And yet Jesus says, none of you keep the law. Who are you? You don't obey. And yet you are positioning yourself. You are posturing yourself in a way that you are going to evaluate others. Now, what this shows is that you have God there in the temple manifested in the flesh as a man. He does, in effect, hide his identity in this sense. And he's speaking to all these people and he says, none of you keep the law. This was one of the reasons why he came. He came at a time in history when the people had this belief. They had this opinion. They had this belief that they had succeeded at finding a way to live a life in obedience to the Mosaic law. And at this time in history, God shows up and he says, well... I'm not impressed. I don't think so. I don't see it. And what I think matters. What I think really does matter. And I don't think that you are obedient. That's what you have right here in the temple. And then in the second part of verse 19, he says, Why do you seek to kill me? None of you keep the law. So why is it that you are looking for some excuse or some reason or some justification to kill me. You're looking at me, examining me to determine if I am violating the law, and yet you people are not living in obedience to the law as you should, not to the standard that the law requires, that the law demands. And so Jesus responds to their evaluation of him. He responds by telling them, that they do not obey the law, not only that, but they are looking to murder him. That's who they are. That's what they are about. Right there in the temple, he exposes some of the Jews, those who want to kill him, that that's why they were there, that that's why they were evaluating him. That's why they were looking for a way to pass judgment against him. He exposes who they really are. He exposes them as a people who do not obey the law themselves. Not only that, but they are looking for a way to murder him. In verse 19, did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? So why do you seek to kill me? The people defend themselves with a dishonest response. The people answered and said, you have a demon. In other words, there's something wrong with you. You're saying that we don't obey the law? Obviously, there is something wrong with you. You say that we're looking for an excuse or some justification to have you killed? Obviously, there is something wrong with you. But don't worry. 
we'll blame the devil. That's what we'll do. We'll blame the devil and we'll say it's his fault in effect and say, you have a demon. That's what you have. You have a demon in you. If you're coming to these kinds of conclusions and if you're saying these things, if that's what you think about us, then clearly you are demonically possessed. That's the only way that this could be the case. Who is seeking to kill you? I can just imagine them looking around when asking that question back. Who? Who is seeking to kill you? We're not the ones. Indirectly, that's what they're saying. They're saying, we're not the ones. Who? Who around here? We're not the ones. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. They were not being honest about their intentions, about their interests, about their desires. They were not being honest at all. And so at this point, the communication is effectively over. When people have conversations like this, it always ends with a sense of frustration to the point where they just simply end the conversation. And I'm telling you this to let you know that the sooner you end the conversation, the better. As soon as you recognize we are not communicating. As soon as you recognize that, and it is a decision of the other person to prevent this communication from taking place, in this example, so that the truth is not exposed, not exposed in a way that the other person will have to confess that this is true. When these kinds of things take place, you just walk away. There is nothing else to do. But Jesus answered, in verse 21, Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work. And you all marvel. Now, what was the work that he was referring to? One work. He did a lot of different works. If you continue to read into verse 23, you'll see that he speaks about the healing of a man on the Sabbath. And so I'm going to continue to read in verse 22. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision, not that is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath day. I'll come back to this. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? When did he make a man completely well on the Sabbath? Well, in the Gospel of John, if we consider that John is reflecting back on the one work that he refers to in verse 21 and that there is a healing of a man on the Sabbath, chances are he's referring to the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. And that would be in John chapter 5, two chapters prior. I believe that that is what John is thinking of when he records these words that Jesus spoke, that Jesus was probably referring to the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda at a previous festival there in Jerusalem. And the reason why he was not captured and put on trial for violating the Sabbath law was because there were not two or more witnesses who could testify against him at a trial. But everybody knew that it was him who did it. They just couldn't officially accuse him and put him on trial and have him convicted for violating the Sabbath law. They couldn't do that effectively without two or more witnesses according to the law. And so he refers to this and he compares their work of circumcision with his work of healing someone on the Sabbath day. And he says, you know, by your circumcision, you violate the law. 
in order to do that. And of course, the response to this could be, well, God told us that it has to be done on the eighth day. That's right. God defined the Sabbath law as a day of rest on the seventh day, and you are to do nothing for anyone unless their life is in danger. That was what the rabbis taught at this time. Unless a person's life was in danger, if you could wait until the next day, then you were not to perform that act. In this case, you could wait until the ninth day, not the eighth day. You could do this on the next day. You could circumcise somebody on the ninth day. But if you did that, then you would violate the law of circumcision. So which law are you going to violate? Are you going to violate the Sabbath law? Or are you going to violate the law of circumcision? It was a setup. God defined both laws in a way that there would be circumstances where because of the circumcision, there would be a violation of the Sabbath law. And so he exposes this. He speaks to them about this and effectively tells them, look, I set you up for this. I set you up for this in the sense that even if you think that you are perfect according to the knowledge of good and evil, according to the commandments that I gave, you know, I put this one in here as well in such a way that I can tell you personally, no, not even this is going to be it because you are not going to be able to get past this one. This is subtle, but you will never be able to obey perfectly as a people. You will never be able to do that. And God established this part of the law in a way to ensure that people would understand that perfection definitely could never be acquired. And so they violate this law to include others, and yet they are accusing him, or they are looking for a way to accuse him, of violating the Sabbath law, and so that they can kill him for the interests and the reasons that I explained in the previous program. And so in verse 24, Jesus follows it up and he says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. In other words, don't look for the ways that you can pass judgment against people just because of the way you think people should be or the way that you think life should be, the way that you think everything should look, should appear, regardless of what is really happening. Just as long as there is a perception, you want to create this perception, this appearance, this illusion, which effectively is a denial of reality. Live according to the truth and judge with a righteous judgment, with judgment that is right, that is correct. And this was the end of the conversation with Jesus and these people. And so the paradigm changed. The paradigm changed there at this time. Instead of looking at Jesus, now the people are going to look at each other. Now there's going to be a new issue that they are not able to suppress Jesus or discourage others from listening to his teachings, from believing his teachings. They're not going to be able to discourage that. And so in verse 25, we have a paradigm shift in what is going on there at the temple. Now, some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he 
whom they seek to kill? Now this refers to the locals, some of them from Jerusalem. Those who were from Jerusalem knew the religious leaders, knew the ones, not all of them wanted to kill Jesus, but knew the ones who didn't like him and who thought he should be put to death, who wanted to find a way to get him killed. The locals knew these people. Some of them from Jerusalem, they said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? Now, Jesus just said in verse 19 that there were people who were seeking to kill him. He asked them, why do you seek to kill me? And they denied it. They denied it. But there were people there who knew what they really believed, who knew what they really wanted. There were people there who could see that the religious leaders who were present at this conversation, they could see that they were not being honest. They were being dishonest. They were being deceptive. Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? Obviously, they're being dishonest. They're being dishonest about the fact that they want to kill him. So what else are they being dishonest about? Do they know that Jesus really is the Christ, also the Messiah? Do they do they know that he really is? And they're not being honest about that either? That's what's going on. This is a major paradigm shift. There in the temple, Jesus exposes their dishonesty. And so the people... The people there, instead of being persuaded by the rulers there in the temple, they are now going to be persuaded by Jesus to believe in him. This is an opportunity for the people to be persuaded to believe in Jesus because he is the one who is being honest and the others have now been exposed as being dishonest. And so the people are going to start to question all the things that these religious leaders, that these rulers are telling them. And so the issue is raised, is Jesus the Messiah or not? Is he the Christ or not? In verse 27, however, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Now, this was a position that some of the people took. There were many different beliefs concerning the Messiah about who he should be, how we would know who he was, what he would come to accomplish. There were some people who did acknowledge, who did believe that the Messiah was going to suffer and die, according to the scriptures. They did believe that and that he would die for the nation of Israel, they didn't have a complete picture with regards to how the new covenant would come into effect, but there were some people who did recognize a suffering Messiah. There were many different beliefs concerning the Messiah, and this is a description of one of those beliefs. Again, in verse 27, however, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. At this point, Jesus speaks out. He speaks out. He knows that the people are questioning the religious rulers. He knows that the people are willing to listen to him because he is the one 
who is recognized as the winner in this conversation as the one who is telling the truth. And so Jesus speaks in verse 28. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know, but I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. That's what he wanted people to know. He wanted people to know that he knew the living God, and the living God sent him. And that's why he is there. So regardless of what they think or what they believe, he is there to do what his God told him to do. And that's what he wants the people to recognize. It doesn't matter what they think about the Messiah. It doesn't matter what they think about him. It doesn't matter if they think he is qualified or not. None of these things matter. The only thing that matters is that he is true to his God and he is doing exactly what his God told him to do and they should pay attention to what he has to say. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 32nd program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. John chapter 7, verses 14 through 29. And in this program, I explained that Jesus was teaching in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles. And the religious leaders, the rulers there in the temple, were expressing their contempt towards Jesus through passing judgment against him concerning his credentials and also expressing amazement that he had anything to say that was worth listening to. Jesus responds to their contempt by exposing the truth that they themselves were not obedient to the Mosaic law and that they themselves did not have the credentials necessary to communicate the truth of God to the people because they did not understand the truth because if they did, then they would know that Jesus was telling the truth. And I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that you may